Welcome to Conversations with Healthcare Heroes. This is part one of a conversation I had with Dr. Stephen Hess of Westgate Family Physicians in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will as well. He has a pretty unique story. Um, first of his family get in medicine, ends up going into the ROTC in college, and then later gets an Army scholarship into medical school, spent over 10 years in the Army as a physician, most of that with the Special Forces, traveling all over the world, all kinds of crazy places, including a deployment to the Persian Gulf War um, in the early 1990s in Iraq. Um, and then we, you know, we talked about his approach to medicine. We talked about his love of primary care and treating the whole patient and the patient's family and getting to know them, not just the disease that they have, because you know those change over time, but a really fascinating perspective, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, of course, the views expressed on this program are opinions of the host and the guest. They are not meant to serve as medical advice in any way, shape, or form. Individuals that are seeking medical advice, guidance, and expertise for questions and concerns relating to their own health should always consult a physician. Without further ado, here's another conversation with a healthcare hero. Dr. Hess, thank you so much for joining the program tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Doug. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, before we get started, just kind of give a quick background on, on yourself to kind of get us started. Um, so I'm a family practice doctor in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I've been there in the same private independent practice for 25 years. Um, before that, I, um, I was in the Army for 10 and a half years. And um, and I guess that's kind of where I'm coming from right now. Okay, cool. Where, where did you grow up? Where's home originally? So I grew up in a little town in Wisconsin. And uh, when I was 16, we moved to Pennsylvania, which, um, you know, I guess kind of providentially turned out to be a good thing for me because, you know, Wisconsin didn't have a lot of medical schools and Pennsylvania did. And I, I don't know that I would have become a doctor had I stayed there. Of course, at the time, I didn't really want to move nobody wants to move when you're 16 years old but right. um but it worked out to be great for me and um and then i went to college in scranton pennsylvania and medical school in philadelphia and uh and then from that i did an internship uh, went in the army and um and i was in the army for 10 and a half years um dur during that time i um i don't i don't know how much of this you want to hear right now but i um i went so, so while I was in, in medical, while I was in college, I applied for an ROTC scholarship. And um, I had known somebody who had done that. And I thought, well, what a, what a great way to pay for school. Right. So I got an ROTC scholarship and they paid for all my college. And um, during my last year of college, they had an opportunity to go for three weeks to airborne school in Fort Benning, Georgia, which uh, was kind of outside my comfort zone, but not, you know, I really didn't have anything else to do for that four weeks. And I said, OK, I'll go. So I went to airborne school and learned how to jump out of perfectly good airplanes and then um, got a um, got a scholarship for medical school and went to medical school. And um, and after after medical school and internship, I was um, it was interesting because I kn had known a friend who was a year ahead of me in school and um, he was also in the army. And um, so he kept calling me up while I was in internship and he said, Steve. Um, I'm in special forces. You got to come and do this. It's so fun. We're traveling all over the world and uh, it's great. I know you already been to airborne school, so that'll give you a, a, a foot in the door. 
And um, so I said, okay. So he signed me up for it. And um, so I showed up and, and my first duty station was in Fifth Special Forces at Fort Bragg. And um, so for two years, we traveled around different parts of the world. And, um, you know, of course, one of the things that Special Forces does is supposed to win the hearts and minds of the indigenous people. So we mostly went to third world countries. And um, I found out real quick that they don't send doctors to any place nice. You know, oh, if, really? Yeah, if they're going to go do some training in Germany, they're like, oh, no, they don't need a doctor there. They've got great hospitals. Right. Uh, but if they're going to Somalia for two months, oh, you, you definitely have to have a doctor with them there. So we so I got to go to all the bad places. Um, <laughs> but we would do a lot of medical treatment on, on you know, native people or indigenous yeah. people. Um, and it turned out to be a great experience and a lot of big learning experience. And um, so did that for a couple of years. And then I um, I wanted to travel a little bit less. I had gotten married and. Um, Gail and I, we had our first baby in, um, and um, we moved to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And I, I transferred the, uh, to the 101st Airborne Division and um, kind of um, almost no sooner did I do that. I guess I had been there about a year. And, um, and the, you know, the Iraq war, Gulf mm -hmm. War came on. And so the 101st was one of the first ones to head over there. And I became a, um, they made me a company commander of a medical company and um so i was i was kind of in charge of a, a frontline medical company in iraq and um and we were we were really the first one of the first ones to go in um they um when the when the iraq war started they wanted to send people a couple hundred miles in behind enemy lines Right. So my my unit, um, about eighteen hundred of us, went in there, and they um, we got on helicopters in the middle of the night and flew in there. They dropped us off, and we were there. Um, and they they told us that, that a, a tank unit was going to come by, and um, and kind of rescue us by about the fourth day. And I was pretty sure that wasn't going to happen, but um, but sure enough, they showed up and saved us. And, wow. uh, and so, yeah, so, but I was a commander of a, of a medical company. So we had this, this group of, of medics and we were attached to a frontline infantry unit, part of the 101st Airborne. And um, so we were there for a while and then, um, and then finally got to come home. And um, our first, our, our, our son was born then. So we, our second child was born while I was in Iraq. I saw him when I was, when he was three months old. And, um, and then I went, did a family practice residency and um, and then was stationed in, in South Georgia at an um, army hospital for a few years, and then went back into special ops um, into a kind of a secret unit for a couple of years. Okay. And, uh, and then um, in 98, um, my kids were getting a little bit older. My wife was tired of me disappearing and, you know, being gone too much. And, and um, the kids didn't want to move every two years. So we decided it was time to get out of the army. So I, um, I went through Christian Medical Society and I found a group of really good guys here in uh, Spartanburg and, yeah. um, and came and, and got involved with them. In the meantime, we had had three more kids. So, so um, we had in, in 10 years, in the first 10 years we were married, we moved five times and had five kids. 
Um, and then it's impressive. And, yeah, it was. <laughs> it stayed it was, married. Yeah, I don't recommend <laughs> it. But um, but it was uh, it was a crazy crazy time, and um, but you know all those things just kind of work to teach you things and make you who yeah. you are. And, well, I was going to um, ask you, you know, there's so much to unpack there. And thank you for sharing. I, I look forward to kind of dig, digging in a little bit. So when did you first develop an interest in medicine? Um, I, I think when I was in middle school and early high school, I started to really like, I had a, I had a, a science teacher who kind of just enlightened me and got me interested in, in science. And I, I liked it. Yeah. And I just thought, man, this would be an interesting, fun thing to do. Was there anybody else in your family that was in medicine or were you kind of the No, first? nobody in my family has ever been a doctor. Wow. So you're the first, first. Which uh... is kind of a, you know, when you're in school, you don't realize this, but when you're going in, um, there's just things that you don't know anything about, like, right. like who you have to talk to and what you have to plan for and how far ahead you have to put in applications for things. You just, you just don't know that. And you don't have anybody around who knows that. So you're just kind of like, okay, you just learn it as you go. Yeah. But it, it turned out to be fine. But yeah, uh, yeah no, nobody in my family had ever been a doctor before. So you get in to um, get through your your undergraduate. And then were you, was that when you did the, the uh, ROTC? Is you, is I did ROTC for college. And then they have a yeah. separate scholarship for medical school. So they paid for all my school. So it was okay. a sweet deal for me. I came out with no debt. Yeah, yeah. And you ended up, now you were, um, your medical school was in Philadelphia. Yes. It, it's a, a a do school it's a do school right so, I went to osteopathic school so tell me a little bit about i mean for and those maybe some listeners that, that are kind of new to this the difference yeah. in, in, in just an approach of, of md do so, from your perspective I, I don't know that there's a lot of difference in do's and mds now i think there was a time when it was kind of a different philosophy of medicine and um and your philosophy of medicine used to influence what you did a lot more um, now I think most people practice evidence-based medicine. So if something's proven to work, everybody does it, uh, no matter what your degree is in. But I think one of the things that DOs have done traditionally is trained people in a broader sense. So they don't allow you to specialize early. Mm. So they, um, you know, in medical school, you have to take every, every specialty, even if you're going to go into a specialty, you have to take other things. Um, and for me, that was good. And, um, and they, they try to be at least whole person oriented. Now that said, there's, there's lots of MDs and, and kind of the whole field of family medicine and primary care now is just very whole person oriented. But, uh, but I think that was at, at a, the time when osteopathic medicine started uh, back in the eight, late 1800s, it was, that was kind of the idea that it was, the, the idea was make the body healthy and the body will heal itself rather than treat the disease. So in a sense, it was more of a, a um, patient-focused type of medicine rather than a disease-focused type of medicine. Um, again, you know, that said, there's, you find people who are MDs. I have three, you know, two MD partners now, and um, they're both very whole person focused and, mm -hmm. and, you know, see the whole family and, and all about wellness and things like that too. So yeah. um, the one thing that, that we do learn in osteopathic medical school is you still need to learn a little bit of spinal manipulation. Okay. So chiropractic started after osteopathic medicine. And, um, and some people think, and I don't know whether this is true or not, that, that they learned that from a DO, but, or, or kind of 
learned it in conjunction with Theos, but osteopathic medicine was around for several years before chiropractic showed up. And um, so there was a time when if you wanted your, your spine manipulated, you went to a DO, not to a chiropractor. They Interesting, didn't okay. And um, so we still learn that in school. We take some extra classes on how to do spinal manipulation. And, and I use that occasionally, you know, probably, probably once a week. Okay. Uh, when I think it's a good thing for somebody and it works. And when I do it, it works good, but I don't always need it. And so I don't use it all the time. What are those kind of those things that you typically will see that say, hey, you know what? Maybe this could be a good approach for this So patient. I manipulate um, sacroiliac joints pr pretty often. Okay. Uh, people will get some rotation on one side of their pelvis and, and I can put that person up on the table and just kind of pop it or move it and yeah. um, feel better almost immediately and they get the range of motion back and it works great. And then of course, you know, I give them exercises to keep doing, to keep it from going back where it was. Right. But I find that that's a very helpful thing to be able to do. Um, in provide that, that, that kind of instant relief of sort. I mean, to me, to, to me, being able to do some spinal manipulation it is like a, a mechanic having a, a three eighths inch wrench in their toolbox. Right. You don't need it all the time. Right. But when you need it, that's what you need. And mm. that's what works. And so I'm really happy to have it. And I think that's true of a lot of things in medicine. The more things in medicine, especially in primary care, the more things that you know how to do, mm -hmm. the broader your toolbox is, the more you have ability to treat different things for your patients. And uh, if, if you only know how to do a couple things, you know, then you, you know, you're stuck. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you know a lot of different, if you have kind of a broad spectrum of treatment and experience, it, get, it allows you more things to be able to do for people. How much is that kind of coincide with continuing education and, and things you picked up over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot. And um, I think it's, that's one of the great things about medicine. I mean, I love primary care, but all medicine, it's always changing. You're never done learning. Right. We, we think, we, we look back at doctors, you know, 50 years ago and we think, oh my goodness, they didn't know anything. How did right. they ever function? They didn't even know this or they didn't even know that. And, and we think, just realize though, that people 20 or 30 years from now are going to look at us the same way. Right. And, and that's, that can happen like forever because we're never going to get to the end <laughs> where we know all the stuff we need to know. I was to, talking to a friend the other day about that topic and thinking of like, just you're not picking on the orthopedics, but, you know, think about what knee replacement or joint yeah. replacement surgery might look like 50 years from now. They probably yeah. won't even have surgery. It'd probably be an injection yeah. of some kind, right? Yeah. And they'll look back at the at knee replacements of the 2000s, like, like we look at field medicine in the Civil War. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and uh, think about all the high tech, all the, all the, you know, stuff that goes into knee replacements today. And and uh, anyway, I just, I got a kick out of thinking, because I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It's probably a lot sooner than we think, uh, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, we we used to know like one inch worth of information. Now we know 10 inches worth of information, but there's a thousand miles to know. You know, right. we're just, we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> right, and, right. And even with medicines, you know, you, you hear these things about, about 
you know, how medicines work and things like that. I really think that for the most part, uh, on really when you get down to the cellular level, we don't really know. We oh, know it, things work, but we don't really that, know why. Yeah, read any package insert of the mechanism of action. Mechanism mm -hmm. of action is unknown. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, they could, and, you can you can measure efficacy, you can measure side effects, but you don't really know exactly how it's all theoretical for the right, most part, exactly. right? And, yeah. and I, I was thinking about that. It's a good, interesting thing. Um, you know, I graduated from medical school um, like 35, 36 years ago or something like that, 1986, whatever that is. And, um, and so I thought to myself, you know, what do I know now that mm. I didn't know then? And I <laughs> It was a long list, but um, but one of the things that I realized is we are really good at telling people what's wrong with them, mm -hmm. and we're pretty good at telling them what to do about that. But when people ask me a question that starts with the word "why," mm. I used to think I knew those answers, and I more and more I'm just like you know, like why do I have this and somebody else doesn't? Why did I get this? Why did this not get better? Why did that get better? Why does this medicine work? Why did this treatment not work for me and work for somebody else? And I just look at them and I'm like, I, I don't know anymore. You know, it's just, um, yeah. it's, it's, more, it's more complicated than, than what we really can get into. Yeah. So, Do you um, find that it, it, along that the kind of same line you talked about earlier is just having to be as a uh, family practice, having to know so many things about so many different areas right i mean uh, I, it, it it seems like that'd be that, that'd be a challenge in of itself and then to kind of know the you know the i think the, it is the, the why behind the what <laughs> for all it's those a, things it's a challenge to keep up with things yeah um, i think to some extent that's counterbalanced by the fact that you have a lot more knowledge of the patient hmm. um so you're much probably better at diagnosing and delving into what's really going on with that person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's lots of different parts, lots of different specialties and things like that. And some people go into medicine for lots of different reasons. You know, there's some people love a great lifestyle and you can go home early and make good money. And um, other people are very interested in the science and delving into, you know, science and research and things. Uh, some people like the... Um, not meant in a negative way, but the ego gratification of making somebody better. Sure. There's something very gratifying about being able to go in and do a procedure and make people better. But, but primary care, family practice in particular, I think is, is focused particularly for people who like the patients. Mm. Because for specialists, the disease stays the same, but the patients change. Right. So their continuum is the disease, almost in a sense, they have a relationship with a disease and their relationship with the patients yeah. change, but the disease and them are the same. They're, they're connected. Right. With me, the my relationship is with the patient, their disease changes, but the patients stay the same. So I see the same person, the same family, the same group of people for years and years and years. And I see them through different problems. Right. And um, so to me, that's more interesting because I find the patients more interesting than the diseases. Yeah, that and being on the, like the, that. some people the, are more interested in the diseases. In in being on the front line, right? I mean, right. The, the something happens to a patient, unless they're going to the ER, or, you know, or it's a weekend and a surgeon care, you're you're the first one to hear about it. 
mm-hmm. right? Or, yeah. or to discover something. Well, and and you're you're in their life. Sure. You know? People are very attached to their primary care doctor. You're yeah, so, you're part of their family. So how did you know, or, or kind of what is that? What drew you to primary care? Did how when did when did you decide well, that that's what you wanted? Um, originally, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, but it was interesting. And I'm, I'm not. This is probably not universal. This was just my experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the specialists that I knew were always seemed like they were rushed, in a bad mood, irritable, impatient, unhappy about something. Um, you know, it just seemed like they were never, you know, they, they had these great careers and, you know, everybody wanted to see them as a patient and everything. And they were just always kind of grumpy. Um, yeah. But every family doctor I ever knew was always happy. They were, they were laughing with their patients, telling jokes. They were, um, you know, they, they were always seemed like they were in a good mood. And I was like, you know, there's gotta be something to this. <laughs> and, um, was that so, your um, rotations in, in school? Yeah. Yeah. Rotations yeah. in school. And, um, and so I, um, that, that's, I think what kind of leaned me to that, um, you know, and there's a lot of fun things about family medicine and, and, you know, a, a lot of people want to specialize and I don't, there's, there's a lot of great things about specialties too. I'm not trying to say sure. you know, it's better or anything like that, but for me, um, it's great. And the other, the other fun thing about being a primary care doctor is once you're in practice for a while, everybody I see from morning until night likes me, you know, they chose me, right? So everybody who doesn't like me has already left and gone to somebody else, right? You know, the only ones left that are coming in every day are the ones who like, they, they want to see me. They chose me. So they didn't get sent to me by somebody else. And mm-hmm. they're trying to decide if they want to see me or if they want to trust me or not. Right. They've already said, this is the guy I want to go see today. So that makes for a very fun work environment because you're already on you know, pretty good terms with everybody. And, um, and so that you've already got some credibility, some trust, which allows you to have some input into their lives in a lot of different ways. Um, so I think that's fun. And, and you know, patients are... Some are crazy. They're just interesting. You know, they just have interesting yeah. stories. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really fun. That's fun. So you, you're, uh, what year did you graduate med school then? That I graduated been... medical school in 86. Okay. So and then out of the army in um, 98. And so January of 98. So the end of 97. And, uh, and so I've been here 25, a little over 25 years. So and backing up just a little bit, when, when did you decide that it sounded like a fun idea to jump out of an airplane that uh, was perfectly good, as you said earlier? <laughs> so I did that uh, when I was in college, my last, my last year of college. Just before, before med school. Before I went to medical school. And um, because I was in ROTC and they got this opportunity to send one ROTC cadet to airborne school. And so how many of y'all were, how many of y'all were in that class? Because it's so, kids from all over, all over the country. So it, the funny thing about that was, um, yeah, I decided I want to go in January because I was from Pennsylvania and I thought, oh, well, if I'm going to go to Fort Benning and jump out of airplanes and, they, and of course, it's not just jumping on airplanes. They make you do push-ups and yell at you and all the regular army cool, stuff. Yeah. 
it's the, it's the army, right? Yeah, right. It wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be the army without that. So, but I thought, oh, I want to go in the winter when there'd be nice weather. It'd probably be in the 50s or something like that. So I showed up and it was like four degrees in oh Fort Benning. They had this terrible cold snap. And that's like down in Columbus, right? It, yeah, Columbus, Georgia. Yeah. So we, um, it was three weeks and, you know, we went through those different training schools and training things. And, um, you know, they do all these different things where they first you jump off of a little, like, I think it's a six or seven foot tower, like platform. Okay. And then they had to jump out of a 34 foot thing with, some, with a little harness on. And then they pull you up to 250 feet and drop you out. And then you go up in the airplane and you go. And, um, and of course, is that your you know, first so, time ever doing that? You never, yeah, even, yeah, I'd never, never did any skydiving. Some of the people, you know, there were, there were several people in the class who had never even been on an airplane before. Oh, really? The very first airplane that they ever got on, they jumped out of. And, you know, they, you, people just, they'd never been anywhere. They showed up and here I am. Okay, I'm going to jump on this airplane. Yeah. I've never been on a plane before in my life. And um, so that takes some real courage for some so of those people to do that. What's it like though? I mean, you, you're, you, you guys are, are you harnessing where as soon as you jump out, your yeah, shoot comes? You don't have to worry in, about so like, it, Within yeah. four seconds, your chute opens. Okay. That's going to yeah. feel pretty good, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's one less thing to worry about. It opens. I mean, it's kind of a wild ride for a couple seconds there, and then it's kind of cool. You're yeah. hanging there, and you're looking around, trying not to run into each other. But of course- so how long of a ride was it to the ground then, like, um, on that first trip? I think it depends how high you jump from, but- yeah. Yeah, you know, less than a minute. Okay, yeah, a minute or two, something like that. Not a long Are you? Time. Are you like? Are you? Like, walk me through. Are you? Are you? Are you stressed? Are you worried? Are you enjoying the scenery? Are you calm? Like, what? What's it? What's it I like? Think, I've never done you it. You know, um, you know, it's a little intense when you're up there, right? And you know, you have this whole sequence that you go through, okay, with everybody. Um, and I, I guess you know, if you want to hear about it, it's it's kind of interesting. You get on the plane, and of course, you know, so then. I did this in school, school, and then later on when I was in special forces, we jumped every month or two. And then when I went back into special ops at the end of my career, we, we, you know, we jumped regularly too. And we jumped with people from other countries too. So like, you know, we would go to these third world places and we'd do training with their special forces and we'd jump with them too. Yeah. So that has all those different things have some unique, interesting um, things. But so, you, you know, you get on the plane and, and everybody's got all their stuff on and you're all wrapped up in this stuff and you're all crowded in there with everybody. And, um, and they have these commands that they go through. So the first thing is you stand up and everybody's, so when they, they it's real noisy, of course. And the jump master will yell, stand up. And everybody says, stand up. And everybody stands up. And then you hook your harness line or your, your static line. And then you check your equipment and then you check your static line and you check, you're supposed to check your buddy's equipment. And then they, um, then they point to the first guy in the line and they say stand in the door and you stand there with your hands on the edge and your your front toes hanging out of the airplane and you're looking out there and the jump master will usually hold your back so you don't fall out if you get nervous and then and then when it's time when you're over the drop zone he'll smack you on the butt and say <laughs> go and everybody just go 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 and everybody just jumping out and um so that's a door jump and mostly we jump C-130s, but then, um, you know, you can also do a ramp jump where they drop the ramp, special right. forces that one. And um, then you just walk off the back. And, um, and then um, there's also, we, I did a lot of helicopter jumps too. And then um, in Africa, sometimes we jump these little airplanes called caribous. And um, so it was a smaller airplane. You're kind of stuck in there. You can't really even stand up. And you just kind of scoot to the back of the plane and push your way out. 
you know, they're not, they're not real big. Some of the airplanes we jump. So, um, but anyway, a lot of interesting, different things. Um, I jumped in Africa one time and, um, and they had these acacia trees all over the place and acacia trees have these real long briars. Mm. So it was a real challenge to try and avoid those things because you oh, definitely yeah. did not want to fall in them. And of course we had a lot of people fall in and get all torn up. And we had to do stitches and everything. It was a mess. Wow. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. So then, after, um, after med school, you go directly into. Well, I did a residency or an internship for a in, year. Internship. And I went okay. Straight into special forces. It, so and how did you go after special forces? And after the Iraq war, I went yeah. back, finished my family practice what, residency. What was it like? So you go into special forces. Is that, is that a pretty, pretty difficult um, uh, entry process, selection process? So for, for me, it wasn't because I was not. A, an actual green beret I, sure. I was just assigned so okay. i didn't i didn't go to all the train i went to you know i jump with them and, and yeah. I went to schools but I you had to be able to physically keep up though right i mean if oh, yeah you're... yeah I, I went on lots of missions with them i just yeah. i just hadn't gone to all the training those guys go to tons of training yeah and um and you know they do lots of like really intensive weapons training and language training and it's it's amazing the kind of people who are in those units um i've had really, the privilege to meet a few yeah the, they're just the years, they're just phenomenal right. people yeah and, you're absolutely um, right so um and and self-sacrificial you know that's one mm -hmm. of the interesting things about the military um at least in the units that i was in people who are in the military are in there um for patriotic reasons they they mm -hmm. love america and mm -hmm. um and they do it for for reasons like, you know, I, I they they like the excitement. Don't get me wrong. They they like the adrenaline rush of doing all the cool things that they do. Um, but they um, but for the most part, they're very, very patriotic. And do they you feel love like America. maybe even in a similar fashion in medicine, is it is it more of a calling than a, than a choosing? Do you oh, feel yeah. To yeah. do that? Yeah, I think you have to be called. Mm. Um, you have to have some kind of a calling to do that. And I think for the most part, um, you know, people do jobs um, based on the quality of the job and the, the um, you know, what their work schedule's like and what their work environment's like and how much money they make and how much paid time off they get and things like that. Right. People go into medicine for the most part because they love, they're, mm. they're called to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, most people that I know who are in medicine and, and a lot of people complain about it, but I think most people would do it no matter what. I mean, that's, I mean, they, especially primary care doctors, they love their patients. I mean, during, yeah. during COVID, this is what, ha I mean, we had in COVID, we had people who couldn't get out. Right. Yeah. So, so what do you do? They're stuck inside. I get in my car and I drive to their house. I put a did mask really? on. I put them gown up, and and other doctors did that too, not just yeah. me. Yeah, they, yeah, because because what are they going to do? They're sick. They need right. somebody. Right. And um, what was that like them. making making house calls? Um, did you ever think in in your lifetime you would do that? I mean, that's yeah. My grandfather um, did that in the fifties yeah, and the sixties. So, <laughs> yeah, making house calls is a really cool thing. It yeah. really is, and um, it's. It's, very, it, it, it's kind of a pain in the neck. You don't want to drive out there and all that kind of stuff. And you don't have the equipment you need to do all the stuff you want to do. And you're on your but, own, right? Um, you don't have a, you know, it's like you're bringing a bunch of nurses with you, right? No, no, you're on your own. Yeah, it's yeah. just me. 
And, um, you know, I bring a stethoscope and blood pressure cuff and some things like that, and, you know, whatever I need. But, um, but yeah, I'm on my own. And, um, but you sit down and you get to see where people really live mm. and what their real life is like. And, and you connect with people better than you would at your office. Um, and the funny thing is about making house calls, and I've done it on and off to lots of people through the years. I don't, you know, I don't try to do it. And I, please, I don't advertise it. But um, don't worry, secret but there's sometimes me. people, <laughs> I mean, you get people who, you know, somebody's 85 or 90 years old, yeah. they can't get out. They've been your patient for 15 years. You, I mean, you, you have to take care of them. I mean, it's just, you got that relationship. So um, I don't have the heart to say no to them. So anyway, so you drive out there. But once you do that, they remember that oh, more sure. than like forever. People will say to me, oh, I remember whether the time when my grandfather was dying and you came out and saw him and, and took care of him and prayed with him and sat yeah. with him. And, and I don't even remember it, but they remember it. Mm. It's, to them, it's a big event. And, um, and I think that's what, kind of what makes it really cool to do that. Yeah, absolutely. What, a, what an interesting experience and kind of like I said, turn, turn the clock back a little bit and, and seeing them in their environment and it probably, uh, I would imagine, maybe takes the stress level down a little bit on their end. If, if some yeah. people may have that white coat syndrome or whatever, and not that you're imposing, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah. but you, you know, it is, it's, it's kind of a big ordeal to come in the office and right. walk from room to room and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot for some people when they're sick and old. Yeah. And um, so I think that's. That's a lot of the stuff that primary care doctors do that that they that they love doing, you know, they because they love the patients and, you know, it's very gratifying. Well, I know one of the reasons. Thank you for joining us for part one of our conversation with Stephen Hess of Westgate Family Physicians in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Be sure to check out part two, which is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. To learn more about conversations with healthcare heroes, follow us on YouTube at Healthcare Heroes Show. Please direct all show inquiries to healthcareheroshow at gmail.com.